Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. In our sermon series, History, we'll be looking at the big picture of God's rescue story from Genesis to Revelation. Today's speaker is Senior Minister Dee Dee Bacon. Well, good morning. You know, it's a good thing I'm not a betting man, right? Because I know how to pick out a Super Bowl winner, don't I? (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Dilly, dilly. From Philly, Philly. Anyway, all right. So I guess uh, the way it works is the, the team I pick loses, so I will pick the Bengals to lose the Super Bowl. You know what? Talking about ancient history, the uh, Bengals weren't in there since 1988. Talk about ancient history. How many of you remember the TV show? I think it was in the 70s, maybe early 80s. A-team. Remember that? What a great show. Four Vietnam vets accused of something they did not do on the run from the military, but as they're on the run, they give their considerable talents and services to help others in trouble to get out of the trouble that they face, right? So you had Faceman, Templeton, Templeton Faceman Peck, the good-looking one. B.A. Baracus, who was Mr. T. Remember Mr. T wouldn't go on a plane, so they always had to knock him out or do something like that. Oh, fools, I'm not going on a plane. Anyway, um, then my favorite, Mad Dog Murdoch. Remember Murdoch, the crazy guy, always come up with the same stuff. And then, of course, the leader of the guys, leader of the group, I think his name was John Hannibal Smith. Hannibal. And so at the end of each episode... I just love this. This, this, is, this. I love that show. But at the end of each episode, how did it end? You know, they did something crazy. They pulled up this great uh, scheme. They pulled up this great operation. And uh, Hannibal would get his cigar, and he'd be like, I just love it when a plan comes together. Remember that? <laughs> I love it when a plan comes together. I, I, I just couldn't wait for him to say that, because that was just like, yeah, go A-team. So that phrase, I love it. When a plan comes together, it kind of captures me a little bit. Because I'm, I'm a type of person, I like to plan, but I prefer to see a plan come together. Whatever it is, if it's a, a sporting plan, or if it's a, a personal plan, or it's a work plan, I love it when a plan comes together. And of course, now that I, I walk by faith, I'm a, a Jesus follower, and we're told as Jesus followers that God invites us to join him in his work, invites us to join him in the mission in this world. One of the things that have become really apparent to me as I've lived my life following Christ is there's a many times where you see when God's plan comes together, and you get to experience that. You get to see it and go, wow, wow, I love it when... A plan of God that involves me and I get to witness it comes together. Can I, can I share with you one of those just recently for me? Uh, this whole sermon series called History. We started talking about this last year. And that's what we do. We, we work months out ahead in our planning. It's, it's a prayerful planning process of creativity and work to, to pull the elements together in order to be able to do our sermon series. And so this history sermon series actually came out of a conversation last year sometime between the team where 
Aaron Adams said, you know, I've been talking to some of the guys I work with, uh, I work with at my student ministry, and they're asking questions about the Bible and how it fits together. In fact, they would love some kind of teaching or instruction on helping understand how does the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, how does that fit with the, the New Testament? Or how, how, what, what's up with, with the people of Israel and the church and the connections between, say, Jesus and Moses? How does it all fit together? And from that conversation, what we got was this, this sermon series, History. Now, while we were planning that, while we were working on that, Tim Peace and I were approached about going on a trip to Israel a whirlwind tour where we would travel around the country to all the sites that were, are described in the Bible. And the person who would be leading this tour was one of my favorite professors in college, and, and my wife Shannon's as well, Dr. Mark Zeese. Mark is an archaeologist, uh, Old Testament scholar, uh, just an excited guy that really gets into this. He's been going to that part of the country, to, the, to Israel and to Jordan, and been digging and doing archaeological work there since he was 18 years old. And so if there was ever a person that I would handpick to be the person who would guide us through this, this this tour of Israel, take us to all the places described in the Bible, the Holy Land tour, it would be Dr. Mark. And guess what? Got this opportunity for us to go for a week to Israel to travel all to the Bible sites with Dr. Mark as our guide. Not only would it be a, a blessing to us in our faith personally, but here we are doing this sermon series called History and talk about preparing two of the teachers of the church for a sermon series than for them to go to the actual places that we'll be talking about. I love it when a plan comes together, right? God is so good. God is so good. You know, this history series has been following a storyline. What we did was we said, we're going to follow the storyline that we find in Paul's letter to the Romans. We're going to follow how Paul explains how we can be made right with God through faith. We're going to follow his teaching, and we're going to use that as, if you'd like, the spine that will then launch us into the various parts of the Bible, connecting the Bible together, doing this history series. You have to understand that, that Paul's role or goal in writing the letter was to explain to a church that he wanted to visit, explain to them exactly what he was preaching, explain to them the good news message he was teaching, to explain to them in detail because he was unable to go there in person. And so he writes this letter, and we call it the book of Romans. And he summarizes everything that, you can, that Romans is about in Romans chapter 3. Let me read that. Let me read this to you. He says, but now apart from the law... So now he says, now apart from the law, which was an option for all of us so that we could be made right with God, the, apart from the way of law, which says your status with God is dependent on your competence or your ability to do what's right perfectly all the time. But, apart, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God, uh, the righteousness of God means a way in which you can be made right with God. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. There's that, that echo to history, right? Law and prophets testify. The, the stuff in the Old Testament, he says, points to, to this way that's now being made open 
to be right with God. And he goes on to say, this righteousness is given, we access this righteousness, this, this grace given to us through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us trying to be right with God in our world, trying to go by the way of law, are disqualified by that way because we are sinners. But thanks be to God, he's saying, no, that way, though it's closed, God has opened up a new way by grace that's accessed by faith. And he says, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So that's the good news. There is a way open for us who are disqualified to know God. There is a way God has provided, it's called grace, that is open to us so that we can know God and God can know us and we can have fellowship with Him in our lives. And the means by which this way is open is through the gift of His Son, Jesus. Jesus, who was God in flesh, came into this world, lived a life of perfection, lived by the law so that He could qualify to to offer up his life, his innocent life, for those of us who are guilty. And he offered it up, we're told, on the cross, and he was buried after his death on the cross in a tomb that was borrowed from a friend and then buried, crucified Friday and resurrected on Sunday so that we can know that death is defeated once and for all and that the way that's open is legitimate and life-giving. That's good news, right? And it all hinges on Jesus, Jesus Christ. Now, the word Christ means Messiah. Some people may think that Christ is like Jesus' last name, you know, Mary Joseph and Jesus Christ. No, it's, it's Jesus the Messiah. It's a Greek word that means Messiah, the one whom God promised to be the one who will facilitate making a way open for us who are away from God to now become part of the family of God. And the place in the Bible where we learn all about Jesus, the place in the Bible that's particularly focused on, the, on the, the events surrounding the birth and the life and the teachings and the miracles and, and the cross and the resurrection and, and his commissioning of the church, the place that we, we have the stories of Jesus contained for us in our Bibles is what's in, in a section called the Gospels. It's the first part of your New Testament, right? It's, it's Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. And these accounts contain eyewitness recollections, eyewitness uh, pe people that saw what Jesus did and heard what he had to say and, and witnessed the things that they say occurred are recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and each one of these writers gives a unique perspective in the story so that the overall goal may be achieved. Why do they write the Gospels? So that those who receive their story, those that receive their eyewitness accounts, will make a decision about Jesus, and that Jesus will become the Savior to them. They, they will believe. This is what John says. This is how he explains it really, really clearly. He says in, in John chapter 20, it's towards the end of his Gospel, he said, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. So in John's gospel, he's given us a number of signs that Jesus did, but he says, Jesus did a lot more than what I've told you, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, the purpose of my writing, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, or Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. 
And so we go back to our trip to Israel and go back to a common question that I've been, been, been given. You know, people ask me, how was it? And of course, when we first got back, we jam-packed so much in a week. To be honest, I was in a daze. It was just so much to, to take in and to process. And so as I've become, as we've, we've had some time, I've, I've become to really start reflecting and, and start considering everything that I saw and everything that we did. And, and, and people ask me, what was the most impactful part of your trip for you? And I have to say, the most impar- impactful part of the trip for, for me was to walk around and be in the, in the countryside where Jesus lived and dwelt and spent most of his time. It wasn't in Jerusalem and it wasn't in Bethlehem. Those cities were all jam-packed and crazy. It wasn't Nazareth and it wasn't Jericho. Those, those places were great. Really, what, what touched me was the countryside of Galilee and the places out away near the bodies of water where Jesus would be and he would minister to the people the folks that lived out there, simple folk, country folk, folk eking out a living with a whole lot of faith and hard work, living in smaller communities, looking for the hope that God would provide to Israel, devout, sincere people. How many of you remember how we used to um, do things uh, not too long ago. Remember, you would take your, your family photos or you take your pictures of vacation and you would, would go to a, a photo place and they would transform them into slides, 35 millimeter slides. You remember those? So you would take them there and then you would get this box. I always loved the boxes for some reason. You get all these slides, you know, gray or white uh, little frames. And then what you would do is you would have this, this projector, carousel Kodak, color photo projector. It was a carousel round thing. I always remember that machine by the sound. How many of you remember the sound of it? You turn it on and it goes, you hear, the, you hear the fan, right? And of course, you had to change out the bulb. You weren't allowed to touch the front of the bulb because it would break. And then when you put the, you, you put the photos in the order that you wanted to watch them in, in the carousel, and then there was this button thing that you had on, on a wire, and you push the button and it would go, do you remember that? I love that. We used to have one for church. How many of you remember that back in the day? We'd have one in church. We would watch, you know, have the, the words to our songs and be chicka 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 chicka. And every now and then it would go out and Rick would be like, ah, and we have to go and fix the stuff or fix the slides and, and all part of that. Well, in the 1950s, when these carousel projectors first came out and became popular amongst normal folks, it was not uncommon for uh, you to invite your friends, family friends, whoever you, your neighbors, whoever you wanted to, you invite them to your house, and as part of your, your home entertainment system, you would have them come over and you would share with them the pictures of your vacation, the pictures of your family event. And so you would have up the projector on, on the wall, or if you were out, able to go outside, put it out on a sheet, and you would sit there and you would sit with your family and friends on the chairs and you would go through the event. This is when so-and-so did this. You remember that? Remember doing that? Anybody? Hello? You live? Good. All right. I have some life here. Okay, good. So what I want us to do right now is I'd like to share with you uh, some pictures. We took a ton of pictures uh, in our trip, but I want to show you some pictures that, that have some significant meaning to me, kind of connecting to being in those places where Jesus spent most of his time when he was here on earth during his ministry. And I want, I want to take some time for us to imagine. Let's, let's imagine 
you're all in my house. I have a big, big house because obviously I got a lot of money. Um, and uh, and uh, we're going to sit and I'm going to get my chair. Hang on, let me get my chair. I'm going to get my chair, and we're going to sit together, and I'm going to go through some of the pictures and share with you a little bit of our experience. This chair I bought from where? Big Lots. And, uh, and I bought this because I forgot to get some chair to watch a ball game one time, so my wife and I were driving around these little towns looking for chairs, and we got them from Big Lots. So these are our Big Lot chairs. They're not the most comfortable, but they will work for today. So are we all there? All right. Now, let me share with you a little bit another uh, I love it when a plan comes together moment. I think I've shared with, with everyone that I am reading through the Bible from beginning to end. Uh, I'm going through this, this, this plan. It's not unusual for folks to say, okay, my commitment is to work through the Bible from beginning to end. My twist on that is that I'm beginning reading through the Bible from beginning to end slowly. A lot of times what happens is you get on these Bible plans and you're like, check, 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 check. And you really don't take the time to really go through it slowly and really take notice of all the details and what God says to you and, and how it works. So I'm being, I've been working through the Bible really slowly. And it just happens that at this time in, in this week, this week and, and last week, I'm now in the Gospel of Mark. In the Gospel of Mark. Now, Mark was... Uh, a young man that, that hung out with Jesus. He was related to Peter, we believe. And the thought is, is that Mark's gospel is, is really also the memoirs of Peter. And if you know anything about how Peter's described in the gospels, you realize he's a, a to-do kind of guy. He's the fisherman that's impetuous and, and go-getter and let's not mess around. And so you get that flavor in Mark. Mark begins right with Jesus getting into ministry. I mean, there's no nonsense about his birth and, and genealogies and all that fluffy stuff. It's like, all right, here we are. Jesus is on, on the move, and he's doing stuff, and he's making a difference right away. And Mark's gospel begins with John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the prophet. He's the last prophet of God sent to the people of Israel to prepare them for the coming Messiah, and the Messiah being Jesus. And we're told that he does his work out in the Jordan, Judean, out in the wilderness by the river Jordan, and he baptizes people. People are coming all over from the cities to see John, to hear his message preached, and he's baptizing them. And his baptism is a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. It's a, a baptism of repentance, and it's illustrated by people saying, I confess I'm not right with God, and they get washed clean by their confession of, of faith and repentance. Well, Jesus, we're told in Mark, right off the beginning, we find that Jesus goes to John to be baptized. You're like, why does he need to be baptized for repentance? I thought he was perfect. You're right, he was. But Jesus goes to John not for a baptism of repentance, but instead he goes for the baptism of commission. When we're baptized as Christians, what are we baptized for? For the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's repentance, but there's also commissioning. There is a, a filling with the Holy Spirit to now move into a new life living with God. And Jesus, Jesus is baptized not for repentance, but so that he might be commissioned to do him to ministry. All this happens, this, this baptism of Jesus happens on the Jordan River. And so the first pictures I want to show you, and I'm going to turn this on here, my little handy-dandy doohickey. First picture I want to show you, that's the Jordan River. You're like, what? That is tiny. And you're right, it is small. Uh, the Jordan River is not very big. Now, 
we're told that during flood stage, it gets much bigger, and in modern technology, they control that. But this is the Jordan. This is the Israeli side. Over here, you, I didn't take pictures. You've got guards with, with guns. And over this side, right here, is the country of Jordan. And you've got a guard over there, but his gun is not loaded, and he's drinking coffee. I don't know. He's more relaxed on that side, I guess. And this is a spot where you're allowed to come. If you go over into this water, you will get shot. So if you want to get baptized out of there, you'll be have a quick homecoming, I'm sure, when you come out. Um, <laughs> I baptized you. Boom, done. All right, let's go. So you see this person right here. This, the, can you see my green? This person is someone who's just been baptized. He was baptizing this lady, and she was like, <laughs> and I'm thinking, wow, I must be filled with the Spirit. No, because it's ice cold. Ice cold. So that's the Jordan River. Notice that there's a lot of vegetation and greenery, but notice it's a small river. There's a story in the Old Testament about a, a, a general named Naaman who goes to see a prophet in Israel, Elijah, I believe it was, and he's got leprosy, and he's told, go and dip yourself seven times in the Jordan. And his comment is, the Jordan? Really? Yuck. It's a, just a slimy little river. Why would I do that when I've got these beautiful rivers in my own country? And his servant wisely says, hey, because the man of God said, so go and do it. But now you can see why he was not impressed by the Jordan. It's not very big. Uh, let's click over the other side. Okay, there's Tim. Peace. Remember him? His feet are being baptized by the Jordan. So he's got holy feet. Um, so, uh, but that gives it. So there's a platform in there. But this is the Jordan. And we're told that when Jesus was baptized, he's baptized. There's a word from God that says, this is my son whom I am well pleased. And we said the Spirit of God comes upon him uh, as a dove. Now, the description is not that the Spirit of God was a dove, but there was some kind of fire, some kind of, some kind of obvious emanation of the Spirit of God coming down and lighting on Jesus. And we're told then that Jesus then moves from the Jordan and he goes into the desert for 40 days for prayer and fasting to prepare for his ministry. At his time in the desert, towards the end, he's met with opposition from the enemy. The devil comes to, to tempt him three times, and, and it's, a, it's a battle. And the devil's point is to try to, to derail Jesus from his ministry, to, to get him in a different trajectory from what God was calling him to do in his ministry. And so Jesus is, is moved to the desert. He goes through the 40 days, and he comes out of that uh, ready for ministry. So here's some pictures of the Judean wilderness. Isn't that cool? That's barren, right? That's barren. It's like nothing out there. It's scary. That's the Judean wilderness. And to think that I don't know if Jesus was in this part because it's pretty large, but he may have been. And I get this. Let me click over again. See this little road thing? Well, on this side, this is the direction towards a place called Jericho. On this side is you would climb up and you would go to Jerusalem. Now, there's a story that Jesus tells it's recorded in the gospel. He says, one day there was a man who was traveling from Jerusalem down the road to Jericho. And he was robbed because it was a desolate place. He was traveling alone. Ah, oh, there's the road. Jesus knew about this place. He knew about the road. He understood how to bring things into real life. The story of the Good Samaritan, Right? Well, the, 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 the place where that occurs in, in terms of the setup is right here. All right, so Jesus then comes through the wilderness 40 days, 40 nights, comes through the temptations filled by the Spirit, and we're told, according to Mark, that he now begins his ministry in earnest, and he heads, nor he heads north to his home county, his home region called Galilee. Jesus 
lived, was born in Bethlehem, but he lived in Nazareth. Nazareth was a little settlement, about maybe 100 people uh, of, of farmers who were striving to eke out a living out in the wilderness. They were being encouraged by the then government to, to make settlements, Jewish settlements in the north region of that country called Galilee. Nazareth was one such place. Uh, Joseph was a builder. We say he was a carpenter, but really, carpenter really should be translated builder. He, he made stuff primarily of stone. And so Jesus lived and, and, and worked in Nazareth for 30 years, working with his father, more likely, building stuff with his hands. And, and so he goes to his home region, but he doesn't go to Nazareth. Instead, he goes to a town called Capernaum. Capernaum will become basically his base of ministry. Capernaum is, located, is a small fishing town where a couple of fishermen that we get to know live. A guy called well, James and John and Andrew and Simon. How many of you know who Simon gets to be named? Peter. Right, right. So that's their hometown. Right next to Capernaum, here's an interesting note. They notice that there's no, while it's a fishing town, there's no fish processing factory there. And they're like, what's the deal with that? These people fish, but where do they take their fish for selling and processing? Well, there is a major processing place at a little town not too far from Capernaum called Magdala. Magdala is a place where a lady called Mary comes from, who's a disciple also of Jesus. She's famous for, for, for pouring perfume on Jesus' feet, right? Magdala was a processing place for fish. What they did was they made the fish into what we could call something like a fish salsa. Doesn't sound good, does it? Crushed up and spiced up and put into a jar. And that Magdala fish sauce was very popular by the Romans, and, and they sold it up to the Roman and to those in the Roman Empire. It was particularly important and valued because it was made by Jews who were very stringent about their dietary and uh, food processing standards. And so fish salsa from Israel, Magdala, was considered high-end stuff, like caviar, right? And guess who supplied probably the fish? These dudes, James and John and, and Peter and Andrew, who lived in Capernaum. And so here's, here's, a, here's a ruins of Capernaum. Now you notice that the houses, first century, this is first century stuff now. This is the place, right? See, they're dark made out of dark rock. Now, forgive me, because I speak funny. Don't, I come from a strange place. But I call it basalt, but it's basalt or basalt rock. How do you say it? Anyway, it's dark, black, volcanic rock that they built their houses. And notice that there's no stucco or fancy stuff. They're simple dwellings for a small town of folks that lived on the land and lived off the making, catching fish in the lake that was nearby. Simple houses, made for nothing ornate, nothing extravagant. Uh, houses built up with, with flat roofs on top. Can you imagine? As the, of course, you add to the walls these little places that they lived and the smoke coming out from their fires. And, on, and we'll show you a bit on the shore, but there are boats out there to catch fish. This is Capernaum. Let's click again and see some more. Just look how the basic structure, nothing ornate, nothing extraordinary, all made out of this black rock. That was local. That's what they did, right? They didn't bring in specialized rock or specialized masonry. They made their houses out of the stuff that was available to them right there. Now, in reading this, 
we learn that Jesus goes to Capernaum. So let me read to you something from Mark. And again, this is what I found from my, my own personal study. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. It says, they went to Capernaum. This is Jesus and his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, that's Saturday, Jesus went into the synagogue. That's the Jewish church. And he began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. He taught in a different way than their regular preachers. Just then, now this is in church, right? A man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out. So it's the guy that always causes trouble in church because he's, he's not right. He's got a spirit in him. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Kind of like a heckler, right? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. The news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Now, here's a neat picture. Check this out. See that white structure up there? See that? Yes? That is a synagogue, the synagogue of Capernaum. Is it the synagogue where Jesus performed this miracle? No. Uh, see the rock? What color is the rock? It's white. What does that mean? White rock means it was brought in later. It is not original to the first century. It's probably third or fourth century. But... But, let's check the next picture. You see underneath here? This is the, the, the synagogue of the 3rd 4th century. Well, guess what's underneath? There's stone. There's construction. More than likely, what we're seeing underneath here is the synagogue, the synagogue that's described in the, mess, in the text I just read. The synagogue... Where Mark says, Jesus was teaching, people were amazed at his teaching. A man filled with an impure spirit, an evil spirit, starts barking out, acting up. Jesus orders him, the spirit, to come out of the man. The man is healed, and everyone's like, whoa. I mean, that's the stuff people talk about off the church, don't they? <laughs> right? And it says, no wonder the news spread of him to the entire region of Galilee. Now, the story continues. Check this out. Check this out. Now, they, the, Jesus and his guys do what we all do off the church. What do we do? We go and have lunch, right? So we go to someone's house. So as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon, that's Peter, and Andrew. Where do they live? Oh, Capernaum. They have a house there in Capernaum. Simon's mother-in-law, M-I-L, was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Didn't want the demons proclaiming uh, the truth of his identity, right? Now... Here's a tradition that happens when, whenever you have a holy site or a place that wants to be honored by, you know, let's say, the church over the years, what they do is they build a structure to honor that site. So many times what you find in holy places are churches upon, built upon churches upon churches, right? So we'll click over here, and we kind of 
look towards the lake, and you see this, this strange structure up here? It looks like, like a spaceship landed down there. No, but it isn't. It's built by the Catholic Church, and it's a Catholic structure that was built because they believe that underneath here is a dwelling place of a very special person. His name is Peter, the house of Peter, a simple fisherman. And so that house that we talked about where Jesus goes to, to be and he heals the mother-in-law and they, she waits on them and the people come to do that, it's believed to be under this structure. And so click again. We'll see. There's, there's under the structure. Notice the walls. These are walls of churches built on the church to honor the spot. And click again here. And there is underneath, right in the middle, the structure that is considered the simple home of a fisherman and his family. The place the place where Jesus healed the mother-in-law, taught many, and healed many. You read further on, this is the place where Jesus is there. The place is packed with people. They're inside. They're flowing outside. Some guys bring their friend who's paralyzed. They say, we can't get our friend Joe who's paralyzed inside. I don't know if his name was Joe. I'm just making this up. But they can't get him inside. So what do they do? They climb up on the roof. Now, in those days, the structures were the roofs were flat. The bottom layer was wood slats. On top of the wood slats, you put like reeds and, and, and reeds and stuff like that. And then on top of that, they caked it down with, with mud. So it was hard. It was like a concrete hard. So people could climb up there and walk on it and, and sleep up there when it was too hot to sleep inside. Well, these guys come up there and they say, we need to get to Jesus. And so for their friend, they take out probably tools and dig. And it's not like pulling away what you see in sometimes in the movies. Pulling. No, it was like a serious blasting a hole through the roof, shingles and wood and underlayment and all that, they blast a hole through the roof. And I've got to tell you, when they did that, they more than likely ruined the entire roof because to repair it, you couldn't put a patch. You had to do the whole thing. But they were told that they bring in their friend, they lower him down through the hole, and Jesus is touched by the faith of their friends. He touches the man. He gets up and he walks. In fact, he says, I, your sins are forgiven first. The people around there get like, whoa, what, can you say that? And he says, well, I'll show you I have authority to forgive sins and heal. He touches him and he heals him. Of course, you're not told about what happened after that, like Peter's mother-in-law, like, who's going to fix my roof? It's nicer healing stuff, but who's going to fix the roof? I don't have insurance, you know, because it was a big job. But anyway, so maybe that's why the next part of the story is you find out the guys hit the, hit the lake. <laughs> anyway, that's Didi's, Didi's insight. But that's what we're told, right? It says in chapter 2, it says after, after the healing of all folks, they go out in the lake. And many times you're told in Scripture that Jesus taught the crowds by the lake because there wasn't enough room in the, in the homes that he was staying in. So here's some pictures of the lake. Notice the, this is the beach. Notice it's a, a rocky beach. It's not like, you know... Cancun or, you know, laying out and resting. It's a rocky beach. And this is the place where they would launch their fishing boats. So click again. And there it is. This is on the, looking from Capernaum across the lake. You see back, see back here? Many times we're told Jesus and his disciples got in their boats and they went to the other side of the lake. There it is, other side of the lake. Why? To get away from the crowds. But crowds would chase them around to be with them and, and try to intercept them. 
A lot of things happen on the other side of the lake. One time, Jesus is trying to get, to solid, get some prayer time. We're told that the disciples get into a boat. He says, I'll meet you on the other side. They're on the boat. And all of a sudden, based on the ge ge geography of the place, you see how everything, there's a lot of mountains around. Well, the weather systems change just like that. One minute, it's nice and calm. The next minute, whoosh, is a big storm. And, and, the, and the lake has turned into a tempest and waves and, and craziness. And we're told that that's what's happening. And the, the disciples are in their boat, and they're crying out for life. And all of a sudden, they see Jesus doing what? Walking on water. He walks by them, and he walks to them. And when he gets to them, of course, he asks Peter to join him. Peter walks on water and all that. And, and it's a pretty cool story. But he gets in the boat, the storm goes away, and he makes it to the other side. And so I'll close with this picture. This is the three. We're trying to walk on water, but we just couldn't do it. Um, <laughs> there's Tim Peace. That's my wife, Shannon, and that's me. Uh, we're actually trying to put a pose together for some kind of cool Christian album, uh, song album, you know, because that's what it looks like, right? But that's us looking actually for rocks and shells at the bottom of Galilee because I wanted to be able to bring those as gifts, uh, take them through customs, but bring them through gifts for folks to do that. Now, I hope you've enjoyed this and you've enjoyed uh, some of the experience of this. And my purpose of this is I want to share with you a little bit of just what we went through, but also, more importantly, to actually kind of remind you and me of what the purpose of the Gospels is. Jesus described, Mark and, and Matthew and Luke and John described these things in detail, and we can now go back to the actual places they were. I mean, we're not talking about kind of, sort of. I mean, this is the place. This is the place that's described and so when you're there, you can, can grasp the details, the feel, the scale, the smells, the, the experience, and, and it really comes home to you while you're there. And hopefully you've, you've been able to catch that. But the purpose of this is not for me to, to share that with you. The purpose of this is for me to remind you the, that the Gospels are written for one purpose alone, and that purpose is for you who receive the stories to consider Jesus and to believe. Because what struck me is while I was there, and I'm like, okay, I'm at Jordan. This is the place where he was baptized, and what is described in the Bible, the Spirit of God came on him, and he went into the wilderness. In the Judean wilderness, this is the place where he, he spent 40 days and 40 nights, according to scriptures, and was tempted by the enemy, but came out triumphant and began his ministry, and he went to Capernaum. This is the place that he taught in the synagogue, and, and according to Mark said, he cast out a demon and a man who was demon-possessed, and he healed many, and he went to the home of Simon, and he healed the mother-in-law, and he healed the paralytic, and the place where he went to the shores, and he began to teach the multitudes things that we, we remember and, and, and value. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the Beatitudes, and, and all the things that, that we're told that Jesus said in the Gospels. This is the place where he launched out and told, told Peter, hey, hey, throw your nets on the other side and you'll get a great harvest of fish. And, and he went on the other side and the storm came and he walked on the water. These are the places, and we have a question. If this is real, if these are the places, Jerusalem, where he went north and he gave himself up to be arrested, tried, crucified, buried, risen again. If these things are true, we have a decision to make about Jesus. Because it doesn't matter that they happened 2,000 years ago. 
The time between them happening and now doesn't matter. Why? If they're true, it's as if they happen today. And he conquered death, so there is no end to the story. He's alive. And if it's true, we have a decision to make. And it's the decision that we all have to make when, when, when faced the stories. Do I believe? Do I believe? I believe. I made a decision to believe as a boy at 12 years old. I believe because I'm not a fool. I'm not a gullible person. Those that know me know I'm one of the most suspicious people around. I've got a pretty good antenna when someone's kind of blowing smoke, right? I'm pretty smart, I think. But I believe because of the witness of the men that saw these things happen, described them happening, and their records are contained and preserved and brought to us in what we call our Bibles. I believe because of the testimony and life transformed life of individuals from then until now who have become part of the church and have done things, great things for God. You know, we like to harp and get all excited about the bad things done in the name of the church, but everyone forgets about all the good and all the love and all the blessings that the church has brought into the world. And, and they don't account that in when they're trying to disprove God's existence, do they? But the reality is, is that there's much good that has been done in the name of Jesus much good in the world and much good in the lives of people who believe. I believe because I've experienced that which is promised, a life transformation of now being made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And I've been entered into a life adventure that begins as a boy born to a single mom. Boy born to a single mom in Rhodesia, Africa, who somehow by faith and living in obedience to the calling in his life, ends up thousands of miles away living in Cincinnati, Ohio, part of a community of faith that he has the honor to serve and to continue to pursue the mission of the gospel. Gospel explained to us here in Romans, right? The gospel explained to us in Romans, it says, Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Christ, Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. I believe. I believe and I've experienced transformation that occurred on that day. Rick talked about that sweet day when he came to know Jesus. But that day is just the beginning of the story. Not only are we saved by faith, we're saved to live in faith. Our baptism not only remembers the moment of, of repentance and forgiveness of sin, but it also brings to us the, the fact that grace involves a commissioning to a life of purpose, and that purpose may be different for each person and the context may be different to where we are, but it's a purpose nonetheless that God gives to us for us to live as we believe. I believe. Do you believe? We're going to pray together. I'm going to, while I pray, we're going to have folks come down, a couple guys, and we'll be available to pray with you if you have something you need to pray with in person. 
right here now. If you, if you want to make that first step and say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I want to be part of that life adventure, uh, let them know. Waters are ready. Baptism can happen. I'm going to pray. These guys are going to come forward. After I pray, we'll ask that you stand and we're going to sing a song of celebration. We're going to sing that song again. Uh, come to the altar. Come to the altar. How do we come to the altar? How can we come to the dwelling place of God? Through Jesus. Father's arms are open wide because of Jesus. Forgiveness is provided because of Jesus. It's, it's a song of, of joy. It's a song of praise. I hope it's a song that will bring a smile to your face because you believe. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.